Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Glad to be with you. Uh, Larry Wayland is in from Modern Arms. At the Brown Station location. Good you morning, Gary. You betcha. And Belt Boy is with us, too. Belt yes, Boy. Belt Boy. Na, 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 na. Yeah. Uh, listen, I had a conversation uh, with Cam Edwards. Uh, and you guys are probably familiar with him from Bearing Arms. Yeah. And uh, so I thought I would bring that to the table. A little later on, we are going to talk with uh, a guest about, well, legal protection for people who carry firearms. Uh, so uh, we'll uh, we'll learn from CCW Safe uh, just you know what you can do and and what they offer, uh, and uh, we'll we'll uh, kick this around with Gary Eastridge. He is a critical incident coordinator uh, over there. He is a retired law enforcement officer, and he started with the Oklahoma City Police Department back in 1979. Retired in 2000 as an inspector in the homicide unit, served as department firearms instructor after getting his cleat certificate in 1986. After retirement, uh, he worked as a police officer with the International Police Task Force. So he's got quite the background. Uh, but if you carry a gun, this might be something you might also want to carry. Uh, because as those of us uh, who have been doing this for a while know, you can get yourself in trouble. Uh, and it, it could be very, very costly. Very, very expensive, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that's what's coming up. And also, Amy Swearer, who uh, was uh, testifying in front of Congress. The audio is a bit dated, but still really prescient. Uh, so uh, with that in mind, let's bring on Cam Edwards. I'm pleased to tell you that Cam Edwards is with us now as the host of Gary on Guns. One of the things I always do is I look for great resources, and Bearing Arms is a great resource. So I'm a great fan of Cam, and I'm thrilled to have him with us. Cam, welcome. How are you? I am great, Gary. Thanks so much for the invite. It's great to be here. You know, there's a lot going on. Uh, we were uh, having a little fun with Portland earlier in the program uh, to prevent gun violence. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why we didn't think of it before. <laughs> Bullet-free weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that great? Uh, that's yeah. All we need apparently. It's just. Yeah, uh, I, listen, I wish Portland well. I, I, I do feel bad for the residents there. I mean, look, but this is the result of decades of progressive policies at work. Uh, you know, Baltimore tried this a couple of years ago. They had a murder-free weekend. Oh, that's uh, that, even better. That, that was not murder-free, yeah. And unfortunately, oh. uh, Baltimore, I think, is on pace for the eighth straight year of 300-plus homicides. Portland had an all-time record high number of homicides last year. I think they're on pace to beat that this year. You know, these are failing cities, and it's no secret why crime is out of control in these places. You know, these are places that go very light on violent criminals uh, while cracking down on those law-abiding Americans who are trying to exercise their right to arm self-defense. You defund the police, and then you tell me I can't have a firearm. I don't know what, what could go wrong. just seems like perfect recipe for safety. Uh, yeah, well, this is this is why I think a lot of these uh, cities are seeing population losses, because, you know, basically anybody who has the means to get out of there is doing so. You either walk out or you're carried out. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, go to BearingArms.com. I'm telling you, it is a cornucopia of knowledge and all kinds of stories. 
hours that keep you up to date on everything that's going on. I want to talk to you about the Second Amendment, Cam. My take on this is the Founding Fathers, after the Revolution, figured you weren't going to go to the government for permission to get a gun if you had a tyrannical government. And that's why they gave us the Second Amendment. I, you know, I think that's part of it. But I think they were also, you know, I, they may have been thinking about us in the future, but they were also thinking about themselves. And, you know, the fact of the matter is when you look at the preamble of the Constitution, it, or to the uh, Bill of Rights, excuse me, it explains why we have it. That basically when the framers presented the Constitution to the people of the United States, we the people said, uh, hey, you know, some of this stuff sounds really open-ended. It sounds like you guys could really abuse this power that we're going to give you. And, and so we want some restrictive clauses, some no-go zones for the federal government where you cannot intrude on our individual lives. And that's why we have a Bill of Rights. It's because we, the people, at the founding of this nation, said that our right to keep and bear arms was important to us. That, that it, you know, Again, part of that is protecting the security of a free state. And James Madison wrote very eloquently about this in Federalist 42, I believe it was, where he talked about the advantages that Americans possess over the people of Europe, including the right to bear arms. Uh, because in Europe, the, the citizenry was disarmed. Armed, right? You had pitchforks, you had torches, but you did not have the ability to protect yourself against the tyrannical government. Uh, and so that governmental tyranny very much was on the minds of the framers, but I think it was also very much on the minds of the American people. Uh, and they weren't satisfied with the promises of the politicians of the day of trust us, we'll respect your rights. They said, no, we want it explicitly protected. We, we want a you know, lock solid guarantee. And even with the language of the Second Amendment in place, we've still been arguing about what it means ever since. I'm going to whipsaw you around because um, there are just so many different aspects of this that uh, need to be covered in so little time. Uh, Cam Edwards with us, his website, BearingArms.com. He's the editor there. One of the things that I've noticed is that the mainstream media seem to miss identify everything uh, if it's a if it's a handgun it's a fully automatic weapon. It shoots a gazillion rounds a second uh, and a nine millimeter, according to the president, will what rip your heart out or something. I don't remember what he said. I think nine millimeters are actually they're, they're the approved ammunition, right? Uh, handguns supposedly are are less bad than uh, semi-automatic rifles, according to the president. I never really understood that because all firearms are deadly weapons. But yeah, uh, anyway, <laughs> you were saying about the media. Yeah, do they do this on purpose? Do they are they, is this out of ignorance? <laughs> yes and yes. Um, I, I think it is <laughs> ignorance. But I think in, in many cases it's willful ignorance. Um, I, I don't think that they want to get it right. I don't think that they care to get it right. Because, again, they, I think, have that anti-gun bias. Whether they come naturally to it or not, I think the media, by and large, um, that's the de facto position. And so if you're a young reporter and, and you're pro-gun, uh, you know, you're going to see pretty quickly that you better keep your opinions to yourself if you want to advance in your career. Uh, one exception might be local news when it comes to armed citizen stories. Local TV, I think, does a pretty good job. Local radio does a pretty good job of covering defensive gun uses. But... The stories never get picked up or covered by the national media, uh, and there is a an outright ignorance uh, on the part of many reporters, uh, most of whom aren't covering this issue on a regular basis. They may not know the details and particulars about what they're covering, but i, you know, I got to tell you, man, I have a background in news, and any time I would go out and, and be forced to cover an event that you know I wasn't an expert on, I try to read up as much as possible, right? I, I try not to bring my own ignorance to the audience, and unfortunately... Uh, we do see that on a regular basis when it comes to guns and firearms and Second Amendment reporting around this country. It scares the ill-informed. Alberta, you've got a story up. Alberta not interested in assault weapon confiscation. Yeah, so this is actually a story that my colleague uh, Tom Knighton wrote of Arms earlier today. But uh, up in Canada, 
Justin Trudeau, about a year or so ago, a little bit longer than a year ago, announced um, that they were going to be banning all so-called assault weapons. They were going to be placing major restrictions on the ability to own handguns, uh, up to and including a freeze on handgun sales that was announced just a couple of months ago. So now it's getting time for this so-called assault weapons ban to really kick in, uh, and you're not only not allowed to own them, but you're supposed to now hand them over to the government. This is a compensated confiscation scheme, like what we saw in New Zealand a couple of years ago. Uh, Australia did the same thing back in the 1990s. That's what Canada's trying to do right now. Uh, but in Alberta, they are basically sending up the, uh, the warning flares that, hey, we're not going to do this willingly. Uh, that uh, the RCMP even should object to any sort of compensated confiscation program. And, you know, listen, this is Canada. They're pretty nice and polite up there. So this is sort of the closest thing that we've seen to a Second Amendment sanctuary, I guess, in Canada. They don't have the right to keep and bear arms enshrined into their constitution like we do. So this is a little bit of a different animal. But what you're still seeing here are gun owners, and more importantly, conservative politicians in the country's midsection, not only standing up, but really starting to push back against these gun confiscation schemes coming out of Ontario. Buying gun buybacks, do they work? <laughs> For who? <laughs> <laughs> I always say, they, they, they. listen, if you're a politician and you want a cheap, easy headline, sure, gun buybacks work. Uh, if you're trying to reduce violent crime or reduce suicides or even thefts involving firearms, no, gun buybacks don't work. Um, there's no evidence to that effect, but unfortunately, you know, part of this, one of the things that the Biden administration has done is they gave hundreds of billions of dollars to cities for this, you know, quote unquote COVID relief. And a lot of these cities are now looking at ways to just waste this money. And so we're seeing a number of localities across the country, uh, introduce these gun quote unquote buyback programs. I hate the word buyback because they didn't sell me the gun in the first place and they can't buy it back from me. City of Houston, I think it's planning on spending like a million dollars on these programs, only, uh, they won't be accepting uh, quote-unquote ghost gun because it's <laughs> apparently so easy and cheap to build them that one guy the last go-round ended up selling like 30 guns that he had built at a cost of I believe about $5 a gun ended up getting I think it was over $100 per firearm <laughs> so uh, Steve Houston says no more home-built guns you had to have buy it at retail uh, before we can, quote-unquote, take it off the street. It, it's just insane. There are so many stories in the news about mass shootings, and as a result, they want to take away semi-automatic rifles. I can't think of a plan that would work. Uh, I, I don't even know why they're, you know, this kick. Uh, the Armalite rifle is a really popular, fun rifle to shoot. It's versatile. You can build it up a, a million different ways. It's not being used. It's not the gun that's the problem. It, it's it's just a fun weapon to shoot and a great defense uh, weapon. Listen, I think you're exactly right. And the data, frankly, shows that handguns are the most common type of firearm that's used in these active shootings. The FBI released a report on active shooter incidents uh, in 2021, just a few months ago. Uh, and I actually went and I looked at every one of these incidents. And there was only, I believe, out of 61 incidents in total, uh, less than 10 of them solely involved the use of a rifle. The, the, the vast majority of these uh, uh, active shooter incidents uh, involved a handgun or a combination of a handgun and a rifle or a handgun rifle and shotgun. But the idea that, again, you're going to try to, you know, ban your way to safety by saying, well, you can't get this particular hardware is absolutely absurd. We know that gun bans are off the table. I believe that uh, bans on modern sporting rifles are also unconstitutional. So I don't even think that that's a constitutional policy proposal. Uh, but I also know, even from a pragmatic perspective, even if it was constitutional to say, 
these you know tens of millions of Americans can no longer legally possess this gun that they've owned for years, even if that were constitutionally sound, as you point out, it's not going to solve the problem. And and that's what we really need to be looking at. I wish, I wish it were as easy as if we just ban this gun, then the problem goes away. As a second man absolutist, I might even be tempted to go along with that if I knew that it would work, but I know that it won't. You know, we are unfortunately having to look for needles in the haystacks by trying to identify dangerous individuals. And the best way to do that is isn't from Washington, D.C. It's in our local communities. You look at every one of these cases, from Uvalde to Buffalo to Highland Park, and there were glaring warning signs that were either ignored by law enforcement uh, or simply weren't reported because family and friends either didn't think it rose to the level of, I need to say something, or they didn't know who to talk to. You know, that's what we need to be focusing on right now, not trying to strip the Second Amendment rights of uh, 80 to 100, well, 200 plus million Americans, because even if you're not exercising that right, you still possess it. And we need to be focusing again on that small number of violent individuals and those dangerous individuals who are out there. That is uh, Cam Edwards on uh, on the uh, Gary on Guns program. Uh, CCW Safe, they're going to be with us in the next hour. we got show and tell. Larry Wayland is in from Modern Arms. At the Brown Station location. And then Belt Boy, and we call him Belt Boy because he has come up with a belt for concealed carry permit holders. This is ideal. Belt Doesn't... Boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got some audio for you. <laughs> hey, you want me to play it again? Just keep singing. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, uh, if you're a concealed carry permit holder, this is the belt to have. It will not wear out. All right, we're up against the clock. Quick break. We'll be back. It's Gary on Guns. Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Larry Whalen is in from Modern Arms. At the Brown Station location. And he's got some things for show and tell. Oh, we'll play I've got that. some oh. good show and tell. Oh, stuff. you're not kidding. <laughs> uh, so you that's can later, though. Yeah, that's a little later in the program. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Belt Boy is in. It's the superbelt.com. And uh, if if somebody wants to get the Superbelt, can they get a discount by going to Modern Arms? They at, absolutely at the, can. At the Brown Station location, Not only yeah. that, Larry will personally measure your waist. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, just order online. Yeah. <laughs> it seems uh, much safer that way. Absolutely. Larry yeah. is nice enough. He's got a display in there. You can see what some of the options are, and then they will actually show you exactly how to measure because we custom hand make every single one of these to make sure that it fits you perfectly. And I have two of them. I've got one for my suit, which is a different diameter. It's a it's a dress belt, and I've got the other one uh, for regular wear, and it is terrific if you're a concealed carry permit holder. Let's wrap up with Cam Edwards. Cam Edwards is on board with us. Cam and company uh, at BearingArms.com. Uh, this is getting really, really boring because we agree on, uh, on so much. I, I can't think of anything to, to debate with. So I, I, I thought I would throw this out there just to see if I could get a little debate going. I think that once you've been uh, in prison, when the government says you've paid your dues, you can come out now, you should retain the right at that point to own and bear arms. Well, you're not going to get any disagreement from me. Well, uh, in in theory, I agree with you. Um, in practice, I, you know, I think that's a really tough argument to make. Although I definitely think there's room for improvement. Uh, you know, uh, Justice Amy Coney Barrett uh, wrote back when she was an appellate court judge. This came up during her confirmation hearing. She wrote that the standard should actually be dangerousness. Um, that basically somebody who's convicted, let's say, of a of tax evasion, right, of a paperwork crime. Uh, it is not necessarily a dangerous individual in terms of uh, being able to possess a firearm. 
Um, and, and I think that's a, a reasonable standard to be used. Um, if we had a functioning criminal justice system, then I think, you know, what you laid out would make a lot of sense. But unfortunately, you know, what we see is time and time again, people are convicted of really serious offenses. They get a slap on the wrist and they return to the streets. Um, now, you could argue that these people are illegally getting guns anyway, so what does it matter that they're prohibited persons, right? Um, but I, I think it's just, you know, that is a bigger issue uh, than just the right to keep them arms. Because I think a lot of Americans are going to say it makes no sense whatsoever for violent felons to be able to, to legally buy a gun uh, particularly if they, you know, keep getting arrested and being released to the streets. Well, that's just it. You know, the, the criminal justice system is kind of a mess, uh, mm -hmm. and I think we kind of confuse punishment with rehabilitation, uh, and and that really ought to be the goal. Uh, if you're a danger to society, we keep you off the streets to protect society. If you're rehabilitated, and we think it's safe for you to go back out on the streets, that's when we'll let you go. I think, uh, you know, arbitrarily saying uh, you committed this crime so you get 12 years and then letting them out four years later um, makes my proposition a little bit sketchy. But if we fix the justice system, that might help. Yeah, I, I think I think fixing the justice system would be a, an enormous improvement. In fact, uh, every day on my podcast, I have a segment called The Recidivist Report where we highlight, uh, you know, the revolving door of justice and people who should be behind bars but instead are on the streets and they get arrested for more violent crimes. Today's story was about a guy in Indianapolis who's accused of shooting and killing the mother of his child. He had an order of protection out against him. He was arrested on domestic violence charges last month, uh, and he was still out on the street. Um, I, you know, th these are, are, are real issues, and they impact um, all kinds of Americans. I mean, 97% of felony cases across this country end up in plea bargains. They don't even go to trial. You know, we, you're, you're absolutely right. We have a huge problem in the criminal justice system. And one of the things that we see with the anti-gun politicians is that they use gun control laws as sort of a shortcut, right, or a Band-Aid. Instead of fixing the underlying problems, well, let's just slap this gun control law on the books and claim that we fixed it. Uh, red flag laws are a perfect example of this. We've got a, a, a crumbling mental health system in this country, too. Uh, rather than fix it, well, let's just let a judge decide if somebody's a danger to themselves or others. Then we'll take their guns away. We won't give them any sort of mental health help, uh, but we'll say that we solve the problem. Which, of course, it won't. That was uh, Cam Edwards. Uh, some pretty good observations uh, on his part, I would argue, Larry. Yeah, he's got some really good points. You know, the, the there's a lot of things broken about the criminal justice system, and l lawmakers score points by, by making new laws and in, instead of funding the, the departments that need funding in order to enforce our, our current laws and and i just hate that that's that's the scorecard by which lawmakers are judged because all they're going to do is is make more laws <laughs> that that will then overburden an, an existing you know burden in the in the judi judicial system and things just get backed up further and further and uh, you know the 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 sentencing gets shorter and shorter or the, the the time served gets shorter and shorter. You know, the sentences might still be, like you say, twelve years serve three months. You know, and and it it's it's a lot. A lot of things are broken, um, yeah. and and new laws aren't the answer. It's, so you know, it's I w funding to enforce the ones we have. Larry has gone on so long, I won't have an opportunity to talk to. Uh, oh, you're killing me, Belt Boy here. <laughs> That's okay. Um, yeah, I I know, but uh, it's just so much fun. 
Would I'd like be... to be on Gary's gun. God yeah. dang it. <laughs> yeah. Like Brian's going to gonna get you back. Style. Yeah, there he goes. <laughs> <laughs> Nuclear deterrent. <laughs> it's Gary on gun. Hey, welcome. Uh, glad to have you with us at Gary on Guns. And uh, if you'd like in, it's 1-800-529-5572. 800-529-5572. Or go to GaryNolan.com. Send me a message right there. Larry Wayland is with us from Modern Arms. Brown Station location. And <laughs> like, it's like a, He's getting like a reflex, that. isn't it? Brown Station location. <laughs> and the other voice you hear uh, is Mr. Ellis Bennis, the belt boy, uh, thesuperbelt.com. And uh, if you're a concealed carry permit holder, that is the belt to have. Looks great, feels great, doesn't wrinkle, doesn't stretch, doesn't rip. Uh, and you can go to uh, Modern Arms. At the Brown Station location. <laughs> and uh, take a look at uh, some of the options that uh, that you can get there. And uh, and, a, and a discount, too. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, but I've seen him. Uh, I've, uh, there's a video on his website where he literally pulls a truck with the belt uh, that he makes, and it doesn't come apart. Really, really impressive. Uh, unlike my producer, Brian Hansen. <laughs> if you pull a truck with Brian Hansen, he'll come apart. Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah, Brian <laughs> Brian comes apart all the time, forever trying to keep them together. Why do you think I had to turn in my original belt for the super belt? That's right. <laughs> right, that's right. That, I've my, got that thing. I need to put it on the website in the belt hall of shame. <laughs> it is. It was, was rough. It had yeah. been worn a while. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, it was time. Uh, Amy Swearer was... Uh, uh, testifying in front of Congress. Uh, she is with the Heritage Foundation and uh, she's their legal and judicial studies fellow. And she, I thought, was brilliant. Of course, uh, the political left will never pay any attention to her, but what she had to say I thought was really important. So we're going to bring it to the table. Uh, sans one word, because you can't air that on the program. Beep. Yeah, uh, so here we go. Uh, this is uh, Amy Swearer from Heritage. Madam Chairwoman and distinguished members of Congress, my name is Amy Swearer, and I'm a legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation, where my scholarship focuses on the Second Amendment and gun violence prevention. I've testified before various legislatures after several mass shootings, Parkland, Virginia Beach, El Paso, and unfortunately, too many others. And I hope to God this is the last time I ever have to testify before a legislative body after a mass shooting again. I fear that it won't be. And I fear that it won't be because the conversation has become predictable. An unspeakably horrific event like Uvalde or Buffalo happens, reflexively, almost compulsively, come calls for Congress to pass a whole host of gun control measures largely targeting peaceable law-abiding citizens. Should anyone dare question the constitutionality, practicality, or even the effectiveness of any of these policies, their opposition is immediately framed as callous obstructionism, and their legitimate concerns are brushed aside as, and I quote, any viable alternatives are deemed frivolous without so much as a passing thought to their usefulness. And so I will once again run through all of the problems with Syria, or the serious problems with commonly proposed gun control measures. It's all detailed in my written submission, which I hope you read. Semi-automatic rifles are the type of firearm least often used to commit acts of gun violence. Pistol grips and barrel shrouds don't make them any more or less deadly in the context of mass shootings. While these, while these features can and do make a difference in the context of lawful self-defense for civilians, which is why millions of peaceable Americans own them. 
Standard capacity magazines are commonly possessed by law-abiding citizens for lawful purposes. The few rigorous studies on their prohibition have found that the evidence for their success at lowering rates of gun violence is inconclusive at best. The context in which mass public shootings occur renders magazine limits effectively useless at saving lives. 18 to 20-year-olds are legal adults otherwise endowed with all of the rights and duties of citizenship, including the right to keep and bear arms. Even if it were constitutionally appropriate to punish a mass of responsible young adults because a handful of them committed atrocities, the vast majority of mass public shooters are 21 or older. And then I'll repeat the same viable alternatives that would be far more effective in a far more immediate way, again detailed in the written submission that I hope you read. Take violent crime seriously under existing federal laws and encourage your state and local counterparts to do the same. Authorize schools to shift the over $100 billion in unused COVID relief funds to physical security improvements, the hiring of armed trained staff, and the hiring of licensed mental health professionals. Promote responsible gun ownership without simultaneously imposing financial burdens on gun owners or hindering their ability to immediately respond to violent threats. Invest in the nation's mental health infrastructure to combat the two-thirds of gun deaths that are suicides. And the list goes on. Now, Congressman, I am fully aware that when you are burying your child, nuanced policy discussions are irrelevant. It doesn't matter, it shouldn't matter, to a fourth grader hiding under her desk, covering herself in her dead classmate's blood, whether the real problem here is a barrel shroud or the several dozen missed opportunities to intervene along the way. But it should matter to you, because you are the ones making public policy decisions. Many of you are the ones implying that a lot of victims would be alive today but for a mass shooter's pistol grip and a background check that he already passed. Many of you are the same ones mocking anybody for, quote, talking about doors when a single locked door in Uvalde would likely have saved 21 lives and when all of us just walked in here today into this building with its limited public access points, its one-way locking security doors, and its plethora of armed officers. What happened in Uvalde and in Buffalo is horrific. It is horrifying. No one should ever have to experience that type of unfathomable trauma. And I cannot even begin to imagine what those families are going through right now. Everybody with a soul has it shattered over acts like this. And we have seen it shattered every single time from Columbine to Parkland to Uvalde. We did not somehow, this, this didn't get easier for us. This, we did not grow numb somewhere along the way to the reality of this. It's not as though our family members don't also teach fourth graders, or we don't also send our kids to school. It's not as though we don't also shop in grocery stores or go to country music festivals or work in hospitals. As though we don't also feel the tremendous, horrible weight of these tragedies somewhere deep inside of our souls, because we do. No, we oppose these policies precisely because the lives of these victims mattered because the grief of their loved ones is real. Because we all want thriving communities where families are flourishing instead of burying their children. The opposition has always been and is still today a genuine concern that these policies suffer from serious constitutional and practical defects, that they will not have the impact you promise people they will. And we have always proposed alternatives that would be more effective and less constitutionally suspect. 
what we have rarely been met with are open ears. And I hope for the nation's sake that today is different because I would really love to never testify after a mass shooting again. Thank you. Unfortunately, they won't do anything to really fix the problem. Uh, let, me, uh, let me just ask uh, Ellis if, if you've got any ideas that you think would uh, benefit the security of Americans. I mean, not just in schools, but, but every, is there a better solution than concealed carry? Is there something I'm missing? Not in my opinion, and I know people get yelled at for this all the time, but we always talk about, she mentioned, she walked into a building that was surrounded by armed guards, that there were armed guards everywhere protecting those people. We protect our money with guns. We protect our president and, and lawful or, you know, important people with guns. And what do our kids get? They get locked doors, maybe. So, again, I, I come back to the idea that I don't understand why we don't have armed security protecting our children. I homeschool my kids. Yes. Guess what? There's so that, armed for that security, reason. <laughs> there's armed security protecting my children during the day. Yeah. And so I don't understand why, why we're not doing that. Again, what we, we've said that how many times on this program, Gary, that we say the best deterrent for a bad guy with a gun is a, a good, good guy, guy with a gun. With a gun. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, um, you're not going to legislate evil nope. out of existence. Nope. You know, that that's, it, it, it's, it's, it's the human condition. 100%. Evil exists, and without some way to effectively combat the evil in that instant, um, you're, you're looking to the wrong answers. Right. How many mass shootings are there at presidential debates and stuff like that? Almost none. Why? Because they're going to get shot almost immediately. But yeah. they go where they know there are no firearms to stop them. Uh, with uh, with that uh, subject, we will, uh, from there, move on. Apparently, um, New York City had a gun buyback. Oh, Lord. <laughs> How'd that go? Uh, <laughs> it, was, um, it was surprising to some. But we'll share it with you next on Gary on Guns. Welcome. Glad to have you with us. 800-529-5572. Get you into the studios. Uh, Modern Arms, Larry Whalen, Brown Station location. Brown Station he is, location. Did you hear that echo? Yeah. <laughs> you got to fix these microphones, Brian. <laughs> anyway, uh, Belt Boy is also with us. Uh, and if you're interested in a great, virtually indestructible belt, uh, the superbelt.com. But if you stop by Modern Arms. At the Brown Station location. Uh, you get a discount. You can yeah. see what they've got. You can feel them. Uh, touch them, and then uh, whatever you and do, then you do can touch not. The belts. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? You, whatever... you can feel them and touch them, and, the, and then you can check out the belts too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're talking about Larry. I am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You don't want Larry to measure you for the belt. Trust me. But we we can show you the proper technique Absolutely. to get the, yeah, he's to really get the handsy, right results. You know, yeah. he's really hey, handsy. Gosh, why are you measuring my inseam, Larry? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I've derailed uh, again. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, in New York City, uh, by the way, uh, I didn't realize they had that much. Uh, their population is over 8 million. I mean, that is 8 million huge. in New York yeah. City. Wow. And they had a gun buyback. Uh, so um, how, how, how many guns did they bring in? Well, 62. <laughs> 62 guns 62 wow. guns a town of 8 million um, 
<clears throat> eight million residents. That's yeah. uh, that's not a very large percentage. Uh, I guess because New York already has such aggressive gun laws, there there weren't that w- they got all sixty. Yeah, there probably them. weren't very many. They got all, yeah. all sixty two of the firearms in New York. They, got. Did, did, did they, they call it a success. They, oh, we got all of them. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you you can walk the the darkest <clears throat> neighborhoods at night in uh, New York City now and feel safe because. 62 guns, right? I mean, who do they think is turning these guns in? Well, there, there are two kinds of people who are turning in their guns. People who will never use their guns for, uh, for evil purposes and who are afraid of them for one reason or another. Yep. And people who want to turn in crappy guns to get the money to go out and buy a good gun. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what I was thinking. I'm like, I bet every single one of those is broken in one capacity or another. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's, it's just, it's never going to work. And yet, I see these popping up all the time. And Cam Edwards, who was, uh, uh, we, we uh, played that interview, yeah. he pointed out that in Canada, there's supposed to be, you know, this gun buyback thing. And he said, nobody's showing up. <laughs> We're talking Canada. Uh, these things just don't work, and they never—they never wake up to this. They're, they're, uh, uh, if it were any city but New York, I would go there and set up, you know, right next door to wherever their buyback is, and see if there's anything I wanted, and then offer them more than. <laughs> that. <laughs> hey, you got them. a licensed FFL standing? Yeah. Don't go in there, guys. Give them to us. Yeah. I just pulled up a picture of it, and it's like there's two probably 1950s model single-shot, break-open shotguns, and then a whole host of incredibly old revolvers. Nice. So, yeah, this is like, come on, guys. 62. Yeah. 62. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the world's a safer place now. Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, coming up in just a few, it is going to be show-and-tell yeah, and uh, I got to tell you, I'm really excited about uh, some of the stuff you brought into the studio. One in particular that I think everybody, when they get, when they see this, uh, they're gonna, they're going to be crazy about it. Uh, in the meantime, uh, CCW Safe, they're going to be with us uh, about uh, the bottom of the next hour. Do you guys have any kind of carry insurance? I personally do not. Um, I I go back and forth on it, and and I haven't. I haven't, I haven't put that in place. I'm the I same. Haven't. Yeah, I've I've looked at it and I keep thinking about it and keep thinking about it. But the the monthly cost isn't that bad when you compare that against what you know what could happen. The potential expense, yeah, absolutely. the potential expense, yeah, yeah. But to add one more thing on top of already expenses, so it's just yeah, I haven't pulled the trigger yet either. Maybe I'll learn enough to Dude, pull the trigger, make, huh? Make, <laughs> make, make an informed bad, decision. Bad example. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I uh, I've thought about it. I haven't done it. But I've given a considerable, uh, uh, you know, I don't know. It, it well, just, there, there's a huge value if you ever needed it, for sure. Yeah, 100%, it's just yeah. that that risk analysis of, of uh, you know. I would imagine if any one of us got into a shooting situation, at that point, we would be thinking, oh, Man. my gosh, I wish I would have paid I for would've. the insurance. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I wish 100%. I would have. And then we're brokering the Ten Commandments, uh, yep. and, and and we're in all kinds of trouble. Yep. Uh, but apparently, and I'm, I'll, I'll clarify this uh, with our guest Gary Eastridge. But I think they uh, they also sell to law enforcement. Oh, okay. Man, if if anybody should uh, yeah. should be looking for a way to defend themselves, because many of their departments aren't going to defend them. Isn't that a shame? Yes, it's like bus protection. Keep them <laughs> getting thrown under it. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Bus protection. That's yeah. great. Oh, well, man. they. 
it, it's just the way of the world now. Suddenly, the cops are the bad guys. Yep. And uh, and they they do their job. They risk their lives, and then they end up being fired, prosecuted. Uh, it just it doesn't make sense. Speaking of law enforcement, like there's a connection here. Rifle raffle. Rifle raffle. Is hey, that kind of a firearms we, we raffle? We do thing? have a rifle raffle going on. We're giving away a pistol, actually. Uh, we're raising money for the Columbia Police Officers Association. They've got a competitive uh, match coming up on the last day, uh, the 30th of October, and that's the uh, the culmination of the drawing. We're selling a maximum of 500 tickets. Tickets are $20 a piece. It is a fundraiser. If you wanted to donate $100, it gets you seven entries. And uh, we're giving away a beautiful Glock 43X MOS with, with a green Crimson Trace dot sight on it. We've uh, also added the um, enhanced capacity 15-round magazines from Shield Arms. Beautiful little package, a great concealed carry gun, and tickets are only $20. Available at Modern Arms, where you can find a Columbia Police Officer um, uh, member. There's a few, few of those guys selling tickets also. A great way to support our local um, local police department's uh, members through the uh, Columbia Police Officers Association. Can't go wrong with that. Uh, they deserve all the support they can get. Um, there is a, a story in the Washington Examiner, uh, Georgetown professor. One of the things that I that we hear frequently from the uh, anti-gun people uh, is that uh, you know they want to go after AR-15s like they're the great evil from from the uh, out of the east. <laughs> uh, but you can't take away AR-15s because they're really, really popular there's a lot of them on the street and and it's it's the it's the most popular selling firearm uh since the assault weapons ban uh -huh. uh, when, when that lapsed um you know back in in uh, 04, 03, the you know when the, when the assault weapons ban was put in place there were about six manufacturers of ar-15s no joke now there's about uh probably 225 different companies manufacturing or selling Whoa. selling ar-15s it the the American buying public has uh, certainly uh, um, flocked to that platform, and uh, because it's so easy to work on, so reliable, so customizable, and and so much fun to shoot, it's a great rifle. In the national debate over banning AR-15 style rifles, there has been a noted lack of information, other than anecdotal and heavily biased reports. On the gun ban side, led by President Biden, writes the Washington Times, the rifle is an assault weapon used to kill people. On the gun fan side, led by the National Rifle Association, it's a tool for hunting and plinking, just like every other rifle. The truth is, it is incredibly popular. And it is great for everything from self-defense to hunting. And it is not the weapon of choice for murders. All right, show and tell coming up next on Carry On Guns.